Hey, I'm not an early bird. Can I still get a worm? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, welcome in to the 48 Days Radio Show, where once again, we've got some great questions from you, the listeners. We're going to jump right into those. Dan, what jobs or business opportunities are there for me where I can make people feel good about themselves? Wow, there's a great question. Hopefully we all get a chance to do that. Here's one. I know getting up early, say about 5 a.m., is extremely important to being most productive throughout the day. My problem, I'm a night owl. Well, we'll talk about that some. Are you stuck if you're a night owl? Well, here's another one. I'm a reading and writing instructor teaching online. Is there any way to turn this into a real business? And then, Dan, I've been dealing with PTSD, and the current line of work has gotten the best of me. Well, we'll talk about those and more. Got a lot of exciting things happening as we start to roll into the new year here. I know you're excited about creating the plan for what you want 2020 to look like. So we're going to be encouraging you on that. That's our resource again for this week. You're going to be hearing about that a lot. Our 2020 goals worksheet, absolutely free. It's a beautiful layout. I'm getting them in from people. Golly, they're beautiful and so exciting to see. Got a gentleman I'm going to just start working with and uh, he's sent me his. He just sold a business. Not sure what he was going to do, but as he started working through the goal sheet, wow, all of a sudden he started to get clarity. This is what I want to do. That's exactly what that does for you. Just go to 48days.com slash goals and you can find it there. Open it up, start working on it. So you have that in place and can rest confidently that things are going to start opening up for you as we get closer to 2020. Well, our quotation for today comes from Dan Sullivan, who says, we remain young to the degree that our ambitions are greater than our memories. Boy, I like that. I hope that your ambitions are greater than your memories in planning ahead. I mean, 2020, I mean, I'm, as you know, working on the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So I'm looking back 20 years when I first wrote that. Guess what? I'm also looking forward 20 years, anticipating what the workplace is going to be like then. So I'm using a 40-year span right now as I'm working on that clarifying what's happening right now, how it's different than it was 20 years ago. But wow, I'm also excited about thinking about what it's going to be like. And also in the process, obviously planning what I'm going to be doing 20 years from now. Well, here's some good news. Let's let's talk about a couple of good news pieces and we'll get into those questions. So how about this? Instead of ticketing a young mom, the policeman buys new car seats and helps her install them. Rather than issuing a ticket to a financially strapped Wisconsin mother, this compassionate police officer surprised her family with gifts instead. Officer Kevin Zimmerman of the Milwaukee Police Department pulled over Andrella Jackson for a registration issue with her car earlier this month. He was then cheerfully greeted by her and her two daughters, although he was dismayed to find that the little girls did not have car seats. Unfortunately, Jackson explained that she could not... 
Jackson explained she could not afford the seats since she'd been struggling to buy new winter coats for her two little girls for the upcoming winter. Zimmerman then went and visited a nearby Walmart, used his own money to buy coloring books, stickers, and two new car seats. Well, after paying for the purchase, he went to her house to deliver the gifts. He even helped install the seats, filled out the safety recall cards. Well, he didn't think much about it. You know, a lot of times these Good Samaritan gestures, people don't, but then somebody takes a picture, posts it, and he's had a whole lot of people approach him to thank him for his kindness. It's been shared thousands of times. And the mother is very appreciative, obviously, says that he's awesome. I love him. I really appreciate everything he did for me. Well, again, just an example, no matter what kind of work you're in, you know, we run into those examples where we can do kind things. I just picked up my car a couple days ago, had a young guy back into me. And so I took it and had it repaired at a place where they're real particular about their repairs. It's called Corvettes and more and uh, picked it up and it was just done beautifully. And uh, there was an insurance estimate for the damage from the young guy who backed into me and I got a check from the insurance company. And then I went out to pick it up and the guy who fixed it said, well, if you just give me this much money, and it was $200 less than what I had gotten a check for. He said, I know it was an inconvenience for you and you had gas to come out here. So that's fine with me. And I said, look, if you got the insurance company to approve this amount, I'm sure you earned every penny of it. So I counted out the money and $100 bills, including the extra that he wasn't expecting, but just, you know, we have so many opportunities to just do little things that show kindness and appreciation of others. Well, speaking of kindness, there's a science of kindness that shows just how important hugging is for our mental and physical health. Now this ties in to a couple questions that we've got today. You know, when we want to know how to keep ourselves healthy mentally and physically, we know touch is a powerful means of communication. And by just making physical connection with each other, how it can add comfort, healing to somebody that says, I care about you, you matter. I mean, we really require touch to flourish. I mean, we, we know this from some of the studies, the, the painful studies we get from places like Romania, where children who were provided food but not held or hugged had significant developmental and socio-emotional delay accompanied by smaller brains. My goodness, that means that physical contact is not only critical for how these children behaved, but for the development of the brain itself. I mean, since hugs are a great way to relieve stress, it's not surprising that the number of hugs a woman receives from her husband is highly related to her blood pressure. Well, there's an easy tip for all you husbands out there. Hug your wife. Golly, I know I start the day like that and end the day like that with Joanne. I mean, with just habits that we've established over the year, every morning, a kiss, first thing, last thing at night. I mean, I think those things have contributed to our well-being, the health that we experience, and our <laughs> controlled blood pressure and all those other things. Well, there's other forms of that massage. Of course, we're big believers in that as well. That's another way to reduce pain, suffering, lots of things. Just take advantage of this opportunity. Now, now I know the challenges in today's 
litigation focused environment, you know, you're afraid to touch somebody because there may be some kind of backlash. Boy, that really breaks my heart. I, I don't know. I have easy answers for that. But I know in the, the circles that we have, at the events that we have, there's a whole lot of hugging that goes on. And I think it adds to the engagement that people have, the trust people have, and the learning that takes place in those. Well, enough said. Well, I could stay on that topic for a long time. Hey, one more thing here, and then I'll jump into the questions. Here's an interesting piece I picked up USA Today the other day. I was at the airport, picked it up, and it's talking about the salaries of coaches. Now, we're talking about college football coaches. Now, this is really an interesting dichotomy because we would assume that governors of a state are the most powerful people in the state you know, the most visible figureheads. They're responsible for implementing policies, managing budgets, signing bills into law. But you know what? Governors make a fraction of what top college football coaches make. I mean, it's dwarfed. Clemson's. Dabo Swinney, he leads the pack this year. He gets compensation of 9.5. Three two million dollars. South Carolina, where Clemson is, the governor Henry McMaster, by comparison, will make a little more than one percent of that amount, about one hundred and six thousand dollars. Now that's pretty average for a governor's salary, you know, one to two hundred thousand dollars. You know, not a bad salary, obviously, but it's usually like one to three percent of what the top coaches are getting. Well, we know about South Carolina. If we look at, um, well, the other one obviously would be Alabama. There, Nick Saban, he makes $8.9 million. The governor of Alabama makes $120,000. Let's see, I'll go down the list. Here's my old alma mater, Ohio State. Ryan Day, the coach, makes, well, he makes a measly $4.5 million. Not as much as some of these other guys. But the governor of the state makes $154,000. Well, pretty interesting. You know, it, it reflects our values. We get somebody who's managing an entire state and we pay them X number of dollars. And then we have somebody, well, I don't even want to start down this path. I'm not sure that teaching kids how to hurt themselves and hurt others is something that ought to be highly compensated, but I'm sure a lot of you listening um, would take issue with that. So I'll just leave it as it is, but it, it sure points out where our values are to recognize these coaches are making millions and millions of dollars and other people. Well, obviously you could go to the professors, the teachers in the school are going to be making minuscule percentages of that. You know, somebody who is really teaching ethics or teaching people how, even entrepreneurship, you know, those people may be make, making seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. Big comparison there certainly reflects on what we value. And uh, if you want to make a change, you know, we all have the opportunity to make those little changes, at least in our own lives. Well, this comes from Annette, who says, "I'm 60 years old with an associate's degree, working retail full time as a leads generator, customer service associate." My previous jobs were working in an office, had two great jobs, but those companies both closed their doors. Retail hours change with no set schedule. I enjoy speaking with the customers. They have said they love my smile and personality. My schedule includes weekends that I'm not fond of, taking time away from my family. 
What jobs or business opportunities are there for me where I can make people feel good about themselves? I truly, now listen to the criteria that I, and that lays out here. What jobs or business opportunities are there for me where I can make people feel good about themselves? I truly love making people happy. It helps with being a great listener, looking for something that I enjoy doing. Any suggestions? Annette, well, yes. My goodness, wow, that's what a great setup. Being great with people opens a world of opportunity, allowing you to be in the driver's seat and choosing what you love most. So if you like a retail environment, you know, where people walk in the door, then decide what kind of store or company you'd most like to represent. I mean, if you want to be compensated for your great people skills, then look at something like jewelry, furniture, or cars, where you can make commissions on the decisions you help people make. Now, obviously, you can expand on those skills. I mean, I mean, I like to think that I'm a great listener. And I certainly enjoy making people happy. So in recognizing that I'm a speaker, writer, and coach, those fit well for me. And those compensate me significantly beyond what it's normal in a retail store. So I'd encourage you, Annette, make a list of 20 things you could do that would use your great people skills, but also give you the hours and the income that you want. Then knowing what you know about yourself, narrow that list down to the top four or five, research a little bit more, and then choose the best one. Got a great question. You're in the driver's seat. Great people skills is the basic skill that you need to open the door to any opportunity that you want to choose. Well, let's listen to this message. This comes from Jay. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for your ministry. I really like listening to your podcast on my way to work. And uh, I think it's great how you're helping other people find their passion and to live it every day. I'm an artist and a teacher, and what I'm interested in doing is perhaps doing web page design part-time and seeing where it goes. Um, the way I got into it was a couple of years ago, I designed a website for my classes as a teacher, and then I did it for myself and found out that the time flew by and I really enjoyed doing it, and it was fun. Um, so I'm thinking about perhaps doing it on the side as a side business, and we'll see where it goes from there. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on where to go to or how to start such a business and how to advertise it online. If you have any thoughts, I'd appreciate it. And uh, keep doing the great work and appreciate all that you do. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Jay, for your, your question there. And being a web designer you know, is great. However, it doesn't distinguish you from about 16 million other people out there. There's a whole lot of people who are web designers. I mean, there are 12-year-olds these days who are web designers. So what you want to do is distinguish yourself. Don't be a generalist. Like, like with what I've done with, with 48 days. I mean, if you put in a Google search, you know, career coach, you're going to come up with, you know, 12, 13 million other people, literally. Um, I'm probably in there somewhere. I have no idea where it doesn't really matter because what I've done is said, you can change your life dramatically. Not just, you know, when things suit or when the kids graduate or when you finish your degree or when you uh, pay off your student loan debt. No, I'm saying no matter what your situation, you can change your life dramatically in 48 days. 
if you create a plan and act on it. That distinguishes me. That's what you need to do as a web designer. Don't just be a generalist. I can do a, you know, you're going to push yourself down to the bottom of the pack. You know, there'll be, there are people out there who will do a website for 89 bucks. I mean, you, you don't want to do that. It doesn't make sense. So you have to distinguish yourself, become known as the go-to guy for sites for, and then decide. It could be for coaches. I mean, it could be for dog groomers, for artists, for plumbers. Just choose a niche where you are. You said you are an artist. I mean, that'd be a great one. So have a couple of examples of what you can do for an artist, you know, how to really show their work well, and then how to also, you know, take payment for those pieces that somebody may want to buy. Do a simple site where you can have the same basic structure and framework for everybody that you work with, but then tweak it to personalize it and you're off and running. Then you can focus your marketing where those people are already having conversations. Well, great question. This comes from Don. Dan, I know getting up early, say about five o'clock AM is extremely important to being most productive throughout each day. My problem, I'm a night owl. Even when I try to go to bed early, just toss and turn, can't fall asleep. Do you have any tips and or practices for getting up early without sacrificing sleep? I've tried a few things, but so far nothing has stuck. Well, let, let's unpack that a little bit, Don, for you and a whole lot of other people listening here, uh, where you say, Dan, I know getting up early, like 5 a.m. is extremely important to being most productive throughout each day. Is it really? Can we make that kind of cookie cutter statement for everybody that no matter what your biological clock says, what your natural rhythm is, that you have to get up if you're going to be productive? Well, I don't think so. I think that's one of those old adages, you know, and I joke about it. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we keep hearing about the early bird, but you know, all, all that dude got was a worm. Well, you know, you don't, maybe even you don't want a worm. I know plenty of highly creative and productive people who don't get started until noon. My son, Jared, he probably does his most productive work between midnight and 4 a.m. That's when he's, you know, things are quiet in the house, kids are asleep, and he really gets focused. But yeah, I don't think you, you know, Joanne and I are different. I am an early bird. I like to get up early. I love that time of day. I've always been that way. You grew up on a farm, but I think it's my natural rhythm. I don't think it's just because of things that I learned. I love that time of day. And then I, I'm not a night owl at all. You invite me to, you know, golly, a lot of these parties, if when we go to conferences, a lot of times the parties start at like nine o'clock at night. Are you kidding me? And I'm slowing down. I'm, I'm heading to bed about nine o'clock at night. So I say, just trust your natural rhythm. Don't try to make yourself something you're not. Trust your body's need for sleep. Don't try to wake yourself up sleep deprived and think you're going to be productive. Doesn't work. So let your body tell you when you need to sleep and then adjust your work schedule around that. You know, we we get the opportunity to be so individualized in what we do. I mean, isn't that an awesome opportunity? We don't have to fall in anybody else's structure. We can just, the more we understand ourselves, the more we really can increase our productivity and fulfillment. Well, hey, have you got a question? I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to see that show up here in that magic mailbag that I get to open. So if you want to shoot one in, just send it to Dan, no, send it to askdan at 48days.com. Askdan at 48days.com. 
Well, Elizabeth says, I'm a reading and writing instructor teaching online. My biggest issue is getting new clientele, not my strong suit. Yelp doesn't work. Can you suggest some ways to do so? Like posting articles to websites, brochures to a couple of schools, YouTube, Facebook. And then she says, she adds, it would seem that teaching online will always be a job rather than a business. Would there be any way to turn this into a passive income stream? So let's just kind of jump on that. For one thing, Elizabeth, I'd recommend that you're active on like homeschooling sites. And yes, you can post on related sites. I mean, even writing on places like Medium or Forbes or Huffington Post, you know, can get you a lot of exposure for what it is that you do. But also, what I really am fascinated by is your question. It would seem that teaching online will always be a job rather than a business. Would there be any way to turn this into a passive income stream? Oh my goodness. There are so many ways to take your love of teaching and turn that into passive income. Yeah, let me just tell you about one. Let's just talk about one example. I talked about Jim Hodges in, um, well, let's see, that would have been in my book, No More Dreaded Mondays. I talked about him in there. You can turn your love of teaching into ongoing residual income. Jim was the guy who got out of the military after a long career there, and he and his wife had that, you know, wonderful conversation. And she says, you know, well, if money were no object, what would you do? Now, he had been an educator. So he anticipated going back into the classroom again and teaching, which is very linear income. It's a job. There's no residual income to that. But when his wife asked him that question, he said, well, if I really had my choice, I'd sit around the house all day and read old history books. Well, you know where this is going. Today, he reads old history books from the public domain, so books that don't have copyright issues, and he creates these exciting products for kids from those. And he makes a very comfortable six-figure income without being tied to any specific hours. Now, you can, you can check him out. It's jimhodgesaudiobooks.com. If you go to his site, you're going to see a whole lot of different programs that he's done. He has hundreds of programs that he's done. I mean, I'm looking at one here, Harriet Tubman, uh, the Moses of her people, because she led, you know, African-American people out to freedom. So he's got a whole story there that's in the public domain, meaning for the most part that uh, the story was written prior to 1923, Pretty much anything written prior to 1923 is in the public domain, meaning you can go back and repurpose that content and you can sell it, which Jim is doing. So, but he, what he does is he brings these stories to life in an audio format and then he sells them. Now he sells primarily to homeschoolers. I mean, he and his wife go to about eight or 10 conferences a year. They set up a booth there. So they have a massive following in the homeschooling audience. A lot of times kids who don't read well can learn best through an audio format, audio presentation. Now, let me give you just a quick example here. You may think, well, Jim's doing, you know, really things that I couldn't do. He probably, you know, sounds like, golly, I don't know, Morgan Freeman or somebody. Well, he's pretty normal guy. Let me give you a quick clip of Jim just starting one of his stories. In hottest summer and coldest winter, I was kept almost naked. No shoes, no stockings, no jacket, no trousers, nothing on but a coarse toe linen shirt, reaching only to my knees. I had no bed. 
I must have perished with cold, but that the coldest nights, I used to steal a bag which was used for carrying corn to the mill. Now that's a piece from uh, the story of Frederick Douglass, but that's just an example. He brings those stories to life in an audio format and does extremely well in selling those. So in answer to your question, I mean, that's really the kind of things you can do, Elizabeth. Now, there's a whole lot of other things as well. You know, you could you could take the content that you're teaching and create your own little course on that. You could do an ebook. You could do a seminar where you leverage rather than just doing one-on-one where you have 20 kids in a room and so you get the leverage of that. But there's, yeah, there's a whole lot of ways you can take your reading and writing instruction and leverage that into a real business. All right, let's let's deal with this. This is a tough one. Dan, I've been dealing with PTSD and the current line of work has gotten the best of me. I've been on empty for a while and my health is fragile. Taking action is very difficult while I attempt to create a new normal. I'm struggling to keep up with the smallest task and day-to-day activities are extremely difficult. I've been toying around with the idea of getting a night shift type of job somewhere while I get control of things. I believe this could help with light sensitivity issues I have and would be a much lower stress role for me. Do you have any advice for low stress roles for people suffering with mental health issues? Thanks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, this goes way deeper than we can address adequately here. So I'm going to take one just simplistic approach to your very challenging question. Just a couple weeks ago, I wrote a little piece about post-traumatic growth. So I want to share this. I have little way of knowing how this relates to your question or any of the rest of you listening who may be dealing with this, but it's a, it's a different approach to this whole issue that intrigues me greatly. We know we have lots and lots of people suffering from PTSD from a variety. It's not just people who have been in the military, but all kinds of things. People who have witnessed murders, people who have been abused, some kind of situation. People have had auto accidents. There's lots of things that can lead to that. Let me just uh, share with you some points here, and we're going to kind of wrap up with this. In December of 2010, Kay Wilson struggled to escape through the forest after being repeatedly stabbed by a terrorist. She and her friend were out for a hike on the Israel Trail, and her only crime was being Jewish. Her attacker had a machete in one hand and a Marlboro in the other, and was frustrated that the serrations on his knife made it difficult to pull out after each stab. Well, Kay played dead. Her number, she numbed her pain by singing somewhere over the rainbow in her mind while she fought for each breath and forced herself to put one foot in front of the other. Her traveling friend did not survive. Today, she speaks to global audiences about her survival, hoping to dispel hatred, whether toward Arabs or Jews, as she tells in her new book, The Rage Less Traveled. Here's another quick story. Army surgeon, Rhonda Cornum's helicopter was shot down in Iraq. She woke up dazed from blood loss with a busted knee, two broken arms, and a bullet in her shoulder. 
the 36-year-old surgeon was then subjected to a mock execution by her captors, sexually assaulted and held prisoner. Yet after her release, she surprised psychiatrists by focusing on all the ways she had improved. I became a better doctor, a better parent, a better commander, and probably a better person, she says. Now, how are these women examples of what is now being called post-traumatic growth rather than the more common post-traumatic stress disorder? Now, we know, you know, there's an estimated 8% of Americans, you know, 24 0.2 million people suffering from PTSD at any given time. I mean, that golly, it ranges as high as, you know, five to six percent of the population around the world who've experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous situation. Symptoms include strong or unwanted memories of the event, bad dreams, emotional numbness, intense guilt or worry, angry outbursts, and avoiding thoughts and situations that are reminders of the trauma. The term post-traumatic growth describes the surprising benefits many survivors discover in the process of healing from that traumatic event. The question is, what will you draw on if things suddenly change in your life today? I mean, it's easy to be strong when there's little threatening us. It's easy to have momentum when everything we're doing is working well. What if life got hard? Boy, you see some of the things on the news that are happening to people around the world, and you think, oh my goodness, how could your life ever be normal after those kind of experiences, the experiences that little kids are exposed to? Thomas Paine, years ago, wrote his pamphlet, The American Crisis, at the darkest point of the American Revolution. These are the times that try men's souls, he said. You know, there was a whole lot that had gone wrong, but he said, this might be a good thing. Because there are some capacities inherent in us that cannot be unlocked by trifles. He observed it was only in difficult times we might find and unlock within us a cabinet of fortitude. Now, this is in no way a recommendation that we initiate challenging times, horrendous experiences in our own lives in order to unlock that cabinet of fortitude. But I experienced time and time again, people who have gone through the same situation where one deteriorates, has a hard time recovering, and the other seemingly comes back even stronger. Again, I don't have a magic pill for how to do that, but I think a whole lot does still come down to our individual choices. But I just recently had a a day-long conversation with two young, brilliant entrepreneurs both have come back from devastating personal experiences. But as we talked about this, we reviewed the recovery process and came up with some things that seemed to be necessary to come back from tragedy or failure. Let me give you five of those. These are the things that we see as foundational pieces where somebody can, if they have these in place, tend to come back from tragedy or failure. And if they're not in place, they tend to get stuck. Number one, loving relationships. Number two, uncompromising integrity. Number three, clear purpose. Number four, vibrant health. Number five, optimistic faith. Now, I don't want to minimize 
or artificially position even even the one on having faith. Yes, it gives us strength and fortitude that those without it do not have. It gives us comfort and the assurance that ultimately it will be, like the old hymn says, safe and secure from all alarms. But the other items on the list are critically important as well. And the good news is we can work to strengthen all of those, giving us insulation and preparedness for whatever may come or giving us a path to rebuild if we need to rebuild. This is, again, really tough. Tough for me to talk about. You know, I'm not a counselor. I'm a coach. But I have had the privilege of working with a lot of people who have been in situations like we're describing here, who have then walked out of that into doing some really great things. And we can find easy examples of that. And again, this doesn't mean it's it's easy at all. But for these things, those things, if you have these in your life, you're going to be pretty immune to things that come along and happen to you. Whether it's something small, if it's a flat tire today, or if it's a tragedy that happens to you, I think you're going to have the foundation to be able to come back. Loving relationships, uncompromising integrity, clear purpose, vibrant health, optimistic faith. Well, you know, I hesitate to even go into more questions after that. Let's just kind of wrap up with that. We'll kind of uh, take it from there. So, so here's a recap with the questions today. Hug more. That's a pretty easy one to implement. I like that one. I mean, I see, I mean, when you, when you see, I mean, even the natural response of a puppy is to be, you know, hugged and touched and massaged, goodness. But certainly in people, those people that you do care about, golly, we, I, I was in a, um, a seminar this last week and we were talking about the, the connection of our brain with our hands. And since there's the left brain, right side of your body connection, vice versa, it's found that if you reach out with your left hand and just like put it on somebody's elbow when you're talking to them, you listen better because that's going into the right side of your brain. You listen better if you reach out and put your left hand on somebody's shoulder when you're talking to them. And of course, they feel heard more if you do that as well. So anyway, that's, that's, that's an easy one to implement. Hug more, just do it more. Well, the next point we talked about, clarify how you can make people happy and then find work that allows you to do that. Trust your natural rhythm for sleep. Golly, don't force yourself to be something that you're not. Trust that natural rhythm. I like the mornings. Joanne, not so much so. That's okay. I don't try to make her me. I value the time I have alone early in the morning. We're just different. I know lots of people who have different biological clocks. Trust your natural rhythm, but then allow yourself to get the sleep that your body says you need. Well, be a specialist, not a generalist. It's tough to really stand out and get ahead if you're a generalist. Be a specialist. Narrow down. Become known as the go-to person for something. And then the last one we just talked about, choose growth when the possibility of anger or depression presents itself. And our quotation for today was, we remain young to the degree that our ambitions are greater than our memories. 
Love that. Wow. Awesome time here to be focusing on what our ambitions are. And if we get to the point where we have more memories than ambitions, wow, we will we will tell our body, hey, I don't need you. You can start shutting down. Not going to need you much longer. We see that happen a lot. Our resource for the week, of course, go grab your goal worksheet. Have fun. It's beautifully, beautifully done. Sheila on our team put that together. It's beautifully done. But go open that up, have fun working through it. You'll find yourself getting energized because the anticipation of things that you know you can move toward. That's 48days.com slash goals. So, hey, thanks for your work to make the world a better place, to make people happy, to serve them well. I mean, it's an opportunity that underlies anything worthwhile doing. So do that. Make the world a better place. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we, in fact, know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week. 